Jesus is standing in Pilate's hall, friendless, forsaken, betrayed by all. Hearken, what meaneth the sudden call? What will you do with Jesus? Will you evade him as Pilate tried? Or will you choose him, whatever betide? Vainly you struggle from him to hide. What will you do with Jesus? What will you do with Jesus, my friend? Neutral, you cannot be. Someday, your heart will be asking, my friend, what will he do with me? That is the lyrics to song number 192 in our songbook. First, third, and third verse in the chorus. The title of the song is, What Will You Do With Jesus? You see, everybody's got to do something with Jesus. Everybody's going to do something with Jesus. You can't deny that he lived. He was a historical figure. Even pagans and atheists admit that this man named Jesus lived. The problem comes in when people have to decide what they are going to do with Jesus. What will you do with Jesus? Just as there were many people in Jesus' own day who had to choose what to do with him, so does every one of you and every other person that is alive in the world. And they have to do so with eternity hanging in the balance. Eternity will be determined by the choice you make of what you will do with Jesus. And it is within at least one of their examples in Jesus' day that we will see a reflection of ourselves. Maybe a reflection of ourselves as we are, as well as what we want to be when it comes to what will you do with Jesus. And so this morning I want to examine a number of people and the choices they made as to what to do with Jesus before we come back around to that question, what will you do with him? First off, John chapter 1, there were his own people, the Jews. They chose to reject him. John chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Why did they not receive him? Why did they not take him? Why did they reject him? 
Well, if you read through the Gospels, you come to understand that the, part of the reason was because Jesus did not fit their preconceived ideas of who they thought the Messiah was going to be. Jesus did not fit their preconceived ideas of what the Messiah was going to do, even despite the fact that the scriptures that told about Jesus were read in the synagogue every Sabbath. They heard what the words said, they knew what the words said, but yet in their head they had a preconceived idea that wasn't according to the scriptures of who the Messiah would be, and so his own people rejected him. <clears throat> there are those today who know what the scriptures say about Jesus, but you'll hear them as you study with them say things like, well, I just can't believe that God would. Well, I just think that God was going to. Or I can't even begin to think that God would. Or he's All of this stuff back and forth. They know what the scriptures say, but, but in their head they have created God in their own image. And so Jesus, this biblical Jesus that we read and study about, this biblical Christ in the Gospels does not fit the mold that they have in their mind, and so they reject him. Secondly, there were the sin-saturated masses of John chapter 3. They would choose not to come to Jesus at all because they loved their sin more than they loved the Son. John chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. Jesus said, this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. When one comes to the light, their darkness, their flaws are exposed. I, I woodwork or used to woodwork quite a lot more than I do now, but well, one of the things if you're, even if you're using really fine sandpaper on soft wood like pine and you, you go over it, it looks really good in a dim garage. <laughs> when you take it out in a bright sunshine, you can see the things you missed. When you take something out into the light, its flaws are exposed. And a lot of people don't want to come to Jesus because they love their sin more than the sun. Because when you come to the light, that is God's word, his, his word is a, is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Psalm 119, verse 105. When you come to him and you begin to read and study, you begin to see the flaws in the light. And, and some folks just don't want to change those. They're not willing to repent and to turn. Thirdly, there were the disciples of John chapter 6. They chose to walk away from him. It's not that they wouldn't come to him. It's that once they had come to him, they chose to walk away from him rather than to take the time and put in the effort to truly study and learn what he was teaching. We read of them in John chapter 6, beginning at verse 59. wherein it says, These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said, Does this offend you? 
What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. Jesus taught some things that <clears throat> were difficult for them to, to understand. And they said, basically, we can't do this. Threw up their hands and said, well, this, this doesn't make any sense to us. And so what they decided to do with Jesus was to walk away from him when the answer actually was because Jesus said, the words I give you, this spirit, they're life. All that other stuff doesn't matter. This is where life is. Let me ask you a question. Did his disciples who stayed with him learn what he meant? Was it learnable stuff? Sure. Because they took the time to stay with him, but these chose to walk away from him because the teaching was just too hard for them. Verse 66, from that time many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Jesus said to 12, do you also want to go away? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Now, just think about who said that. Peter said that, right? <laughs> if there was anybody that did not understand at that point all that Jesus had to say, it was Peter, okay? Pure and simple. Peter didn't get it either. There's a lot of things Peter didn't get years after he was a Christian. If you don't think so, read Galatians 2 when Paul had to correct him in the midst of the church there in Galatia. And you see today in our religious world, it's easy to get confused and crossed up, isn't it? Don't we meet a lot of religious people that are confused over what the Bible says? You can walk into almost any religious structure in town in a big town and you can get different answers to your questions and you can get all these contradictory opinions. It's easy to get crossed up in the religious world today, but, but the Bible says that our God is not the author of confusion in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 33. God is the author of peace, not confusion. It all makes sense if you take time to study it. Matter of fact, those who choose to take the time to seek and to study are promised that they will find and be filled. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, and chapter 7, 7 through 11. Then we come to the apostles. The apostles had to decide what to do with Jesus. And at one point in their lives, the apostles chose to forsake him when the going got tough because of the word of God. Don't, don't miss why they forsook him. They forsook him specifically because the going got rough because of the word of God. Jesus had taught them earlier in the parable of the sower. He had told them that, that some people would, would receive the word with joy. But when per persecution or tribulation arose because of the word, they would stumble. And brethren, <laughs> it was because of the word, the apostles stumbled on the dead run. Turn with me to Matthew 26, beginning in verse 52. They stumbled on a dead run. But it was because of the word, just as Jesus had taught. Matthew 26, beginning at verse 52. Notice that Jesus has just told Peter to put the sword back in its sheath, and he turns and he addresses the crowd that came to arrest him. Talks to them, and then he says in verse 56, but all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Jesus said this is all according to the word. 
And as soon as the disciples realized what was happening, that he was going to be arrested, there wasn't going to be a fight, what did they do? They all forsook him and fled. They forsook him and fled because of the persecution, because of the word, because he was going to carry out the word. What about today? What about today when perhaps friends, co-workers, college roommates, classmates, whomever, high school classmates, people you've known all your life, make fun of you when because of what the word of God says, you won't go partying with them. Revelries are condemned. You won't go drinking with them. What happens then? Some, unfortunately, will choose to forsake Jesus because of the persecution coming from their standing on the word. Happens today as well. It's like having your ever-present friend and redeemer and protector with you, Jesus, and going out on a Friday night, pulling over to the curb, kicking him out, and forsaking him on the way to party with friends and indulging in the very sins that Jesus died to save you from. That's forsaking Jesus today. But you know, <clears throat> two of his apostles took forsaking him to a whole new level, a whole new lower level. The first one <clears throat> was that Peter chose to deny him, as we talked about in the Bible class this morning, not once, not twice, but three times, and the third time with a curse. We read about this in Matthew 26. 69 through 75. Peter was one of the two apostles that took forsaken him to a whole new lower level. You know, it's easy for us to say, especially as we sat here, I certainly would never do that. I would never forsake Jesus. Not like that. Not like Peter did. Not denying him three times. Not with a curse. I would never do that. I'm reminded it was that very same Apostle Peter that very same night, just a few hours earlier, who said the very same thing, Matthew 26, 33 through 35. Even if they all do, I never will. But he did. The second one of the two apostles who took forsaking him to a whole new lower level was Judas. What did Judas do with Jesus? He chose to betray him and sell him out for a handful of silver. Matthew 26, 14 through 16. Now, I want you to think about this. In effect, what both Peter and Judas did made them both guilty of the same offense. You ever thought about that? Peter and Judas were both guilty of the same offense. Selling him out for the sake of personal gain. Judas sold him out for money. Peter sold him out for safety. That's it. Judas and Peter were both also sorrowful for the wrong things they had done. Both of them were both sorrowful. Judas was remorseful according to Matthew 27 and verse 3. While Peter went outside and wept bitterly. Matthew 26 and verse 75. So, both sold him out for the sake of personal gain. Both were sorry for what they had done. But while Peter went on to become a great gospel preacher, 
Judas went out and hanged himself. What was the difference? They both done the same thing for basically the same reason, and both were sorry. And yet two totally opposite outcomes, why? You know what the difference was? The difference was between what each one of them chose to do with Jesus after they had sinned and become sorrowful. That's the key. They chose to do two different things with Jesus. Peter chose to humbly accept the Lord's forgiveness and a renewed relationship with him. While Judas, on the other hand, refused to pursue the Lord and his forgiveness. And hence he did not ever find it. When you've sinned and you're sorry, what will you do with Jesus? And then, as the song talks about, there was Pilate. Pilate chose to attempt neutrality. He chose to attempt neutrality. John 18, 28, through chapter 19 and verse 10. But then he caved. He caved in when it came to losing his power and authority, John 19, 12 through 16. You know, sort of like the religious leaders that are mentioned in the scriptures in John 12 and verse 42. Just like them, Pilate chose to put more value on his earthly position than his eternal possession. I have heard of stories in the past, read stories, seen things over the years, where basically you have somebody that will study with a person, perhaps even a leader of a denomination, and it'll get them right to that point where they can see that what they've done is not scriptural. And they will say, yes, I, I can see it, but if I start teaching that, I'll lose my position. I won't be able to be a preacher for X, Y, Z anymore. If I, I can see what I need to do, but if I accept that and I start teaching what the Bible says, I'll no longer be able to have my place, my power, as it were. We move on to the thief on the cross. What did he choose to do with Jesus? Thief on the cross is recorded in Luke 23, 39 through 43. You know what he chose? Despite, and this is a big key, despite his own pain, his own suffering, and his own past sinful lifestyle, he was a thief, probably a lot more, an insurrectionist like Barabbas. But despite all of his pain and suffering on the cross that day, what did he choose to do with Jesus? He chose to watch the Lord closely, to see the difference distinctly, and to seek the Lord's mercy. And so he received it. Unlike Judas, he decided to pursue the Lord's mercy for his sinful choices. And so he received it. It is never too late to start sincerely seeking the Lord's love and mercy. I've heard people say before, well, you know, after what I've done, if I walk into a church building, the roof would fall in. 
all of those sorts of things. This man is a criminal. He's on death row and he's about to face his death. He has faced his death. He's on a cross with Jesus. Did Jesus forgive him? Why? Because of what he chose to do with Jesus. Jesus chose to have him in paradise that very day. The religious pilgrims on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, what did they choose to do with Jesus? They chose to believe the words that Peter preached when he told them they had murdered the Son of God. Acts chapter 2. When Peter told them that they had murdered the Son of God, it was on their shoulders, and at that Son of God, Jesus Christ, God had made both Lord and Christ, they believed him so strongly they were cut to the heart. And so they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what are we going to do? And upon hearing the answer from the scriptures, from Peter, divinely inspired, upon hearing the answer as to how to have their terrible sins forgiven and be saved, it says those who gladly received his word were baptized and were added that day about 3,000 souls. Acts 2, verses 36 through 41. Listen, when a sinner comes to the point that they realize how they have sinned and they realize how they have let God down and they realize that their sins come between them and God and they hear about the fact that Jesus is the answer, that he will forgive your sins if you will go through the death, burial, and resurrection by being baptized in water for the forgiveness of your sins. Upon hearing that, they gladly receive it. They cling to it like a life jacket. How many of you know the story of the USS Indianapolis? Nobody? USS Indianapolis was a, I don't have this in my notes, this is from memory, so I, but I think I've got most of it right. USS Indianapolis was a ship that delivered uh, during World War II a, a very uh, secret cargo mission. And nobody knew where they were. It was a very covert mission. And they're coming back. And I believe, uh, I believe it was a, a, a submarine that sank them. But anyway, the ship went down. And if I remember correctly, there was over 800 men went into the water. Nobody knew where they were. There was no rescue mission sent. And they were, they were sunk in very warm, shark-infested waters. And they were in the water for 24 hours, 30 hours, something like that. Again, I didn't research it for this, but I remember the story. You can Google it. Hundreds of men went into the water. By the time the rescue ship got there, there was only about 300 left because the sharks had just relentlessly torn at them for hours. You never knew when the sharks were coming in again. Let me ask you a question. Do you suppose that the men that were left as second by second it ticked by and they never knew who the next one was going to be. They never knew when the sharks were coming in in a swarm again and, and tear them apart. Do you suppose that the few hundred men who were left had, do you suppose when the rescue mission showed up and throwed them life jackets, they said, Why, no, I'm going to tarry here a few more minutes. You suppose they said that? I guess not. When a person understands that they are lost in sin, Acts chapter 2, those who gladly receive the Lord, those who realize there's a life jacket here, they cling to it with everything they've got and they arise immediately and they have their sins washed away. That is what they chose to do with Jesus in Acts chapter 2. What will you do with Jesus? 
Another person's response, Saul of Tarsus chose to persecute Jesus, Acts 9 and verse 5. But when he came face to face with the undeniable truth of Jesus' lordship, and he was told, go into Damascus and it will be told you what you must do, he did. Acts 9, chapter 9, verses 1 through 18. And when he was told what he must do, he chose to arise immediately and be baptized to have his sins washed away, and he arose to walk in newness of life. Acts 22 and verse 16 in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 5. What will you do with Jesus? Another man that we see that had to make a choice was Felix. Felix chose to postpone responding to the gospel, hoping instead for a fleeting physical gain rather than an eternal spiritual one. Turn to me to Acts 24. Acts 24. And after some days, Acts 24, verse 24. 24, 24. Not 24, 7. 24, 24. And after some days, when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. As he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and answered, Go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. Meanwhile, he also hoped that money would be given him by Paul that he might release him. Therefore, he sent for him more often and conversed with him. Felix chose to postpone and wait for a quote-unquote convenient time but we know his motive because we're told right here that he was hoping for some physical earthly gain and really wasn't interested in an eternal, spiritual, heavenly gain. Another man that had to choose what to do with Jesus is in Acts chapter 26. That's King Agrippa. And just as we went to 24-24, let's go to Acts 26-26. Easy to remember, right? You got the chapter right, you got to have the verse right. King Agrippa. Here's the thing about King Agrippa that really just makes you want to scratch your head. King Agrippa knew about Jesus. He knew the scriptures. He not only knew them, he believed them. Scripture tells us that. But in spite of knowing and believing the truth about Jesus, he chose to hesitate to obey the gospel and become a Christian. Let's read the account in Acts chapter 26, beginning at verse 26. Paul, addressing Festus and Agrippa, says, For the king before him, be, I can say this, for the king before whom I also speak freely knows these things. Paul had been telling him about Jesus. He said he knows them. Now let me ask you a question. If the Bible says that somebody knows something, does that mean they did? Yeah, because every word's divinely inspired. P, uh, Paul could not have, have said that if it wasn't true. And it wouldn't be recorded in the scripture, I should say, if it wasn't true. This is true. He knew. He said, 
The king before whom I speak freely knows these things, and I am convinced that none of these things escapes his attention since this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. He knew and he believed. He couldn't just quote scripture and say, well, I'm an atheist, but I can quote scripture. He didn't just know it. He knew it, he believed it. Wow. But knowing it and believing it doesn't save you. Song 867 that we sing, almost persuaded now to believe, almost persuaded Christ to receive. Seems now some soul to say, go spirit, go thy way. Some more convenient day on thee I'll call. Almost persuaded harvest is past. Almost persuaded doom comes at last. Almost cannot avail. Almost is but to fail. Sad, sad, that bitter wail. Almost, but lost. Look at verse 28. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me. Almost. Brethren, I don't know if there's anything that's, that's too awful much sadder more tragic, more needless than somebody who knows what the Bible says. And they believe what the Bible says. But then fail to take the action necessary to be forgiven as the Bible says. As they know it says and believe it says, they just haven't done what it says to become a Christian. I wonder how many people on Judgment Day, this is one of those things that kind of sends, you know, those little chills up your back. I wonder how many people on Judgment Day are going to have known a lot of what the Bible says. They're, they're going to believe the Bible's the word of God. They're going to, they're going to believe it like Agrippa. And they're, and, they're, and they're almost persuaded to become a Christian but then they fail to do what the Bible says to become a Christian. Different song. That brings us to our final person of the morning I want to discuss with us who had to choose what to do with Jesus, and he did. That's the Apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus. Despite being the worst of sinners, the worst of sinners, he said, 1, Peter, uh, 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 16. Or maybe, maybe not despite being the worst of sinners, maybe perhaps because he was the worst of sinners, maybe it wasn't in spite of it at all. Perhaps because he was a man who had arrested Christians and tried to force them to blaspheme and, and was there putting his vote against them when they were put to death. Maybe it's because of those things, not in spite of being the worst of sinners, that when he heard that total and complete God-given forgiveness was available to even him, he responded immediately. He responded immediately, the scripture says, and immediately 
he was baptized. There came that life jacket. And he wasn't missing it. He wasn't waiting. He was going to do it. And he rose and was baptized for the forgiveness of his sins. And he arose to walk in newness of life. If you know anything about Paul besides his baptism, he arose to walk in newness of life. It completely changed. The hunter became the hunted. Acts 9, 1 through 30. Acts 22, 1 through 21. And Romans 6, 3 through 5. And, and from that day forward, he chose to live for Christ. Galatians 2 and verse 20. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live, I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Changed totally. See, see, becoming a Christian isn't just about baptism. Becoming a Christian is about repenting. It's about knowing you've got a clean slate. It's about immediately getting that slate clean because I don't want to be one of those people who believed it and knew it. I, I've got to do it, and he did it, but then he did everything he could never to put another black mark on his record. And he lived for Jesus every day. Galatians 2 and verse 20 and 21. In his gratitude for God's grace, in his gratitude for God's forgiveness, he worked harder than anybody else. 1 Corinthians 15, 9 and 10. To spread the gospel and to strengthen the kingdom. Because you see, that's what grace does. When you come to understand how much you've been forgiven, when you come to understand where you were going, and what God did to intervene to stop you from going there, because there was nothing you could do about it yourself, when you come up out of that water and you are forgiven and you know you are forgiven, that your slate is clean, you can't do enough, be enough, say enough for the Lord Jesus Christ and his kingdom. That's what newness of life is about. And that was what Paul was all about. That's what he chose to do with Jesus, my friend. In the end, that enabled him to honestly say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished a race. I have kept the faith. Wouldn't that make a beautiful epitaph? Isn't that what you'd like on your, on your headstone? I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. Paul would write in Acts 20 and verse 27, I am innocent of the blood of all men. But you killed people, Paul. I'm innocent. Because that sin's under the blood. And he never forgot that. And he never stopped being grateful. That's what he chose to do with Jesus. The question this morning that you will answer I'm not trying to be, I'm just trying to be honest. You will answer it one way or the other in just a moment. The question that you will answer one way or the other as we stand to sing the invitation song and then every day of your life from here on out, every day from this point forward, is <clears throat> what will you do with Jesus? Will you reject him as some of his own did? Will you refuse to come to him as the masses did? Will you some point, at some point walk away from him as his disciples did? Will you choose to forsake him, deny him or betray him as his apostles did? 
Will you attempt neutrality, as Pilate did? Or will you seek his kingdom, as the thief did? Will you choose to believe and obey the words that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, gladly receive those words and come forward right now to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and be saved? Or will you persecute him as Saul did? Postpone the spiritual as Felix did? Or hesitate despite what you know and believe as Agrippa did? Because the scriptures are very clear on what you must do. Or finally, you rise up right now just like Saul of Tarsus did the moment he found out that full forgiveness was available even to him as the worst of sinners and be baptized to wash away your sins calling on the name of the Lord, Acts 22, 16, and then going forward in such gratitude that you are consumed from that day forward with serving and working for the Lord and his kingdom every day of your life till he comes to take you home to the eternal one. What will you do with Jesus, my friend? Neutral, you cannot be. One day, your heart will be asking, my friend, what will he do with me? Psalm 192. Please make your choice what you will do with Jesus right now as we stand and sing.